Welcome to Crooked Sticks. This is Kane Quinones. Welcome to Crooked Sticks. For everyone listening, we have Brian Pierce here. He goes by BP, the pastor of Seven Hills Fellowship. Brian, why don't you say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Brian Pierce, a.k.a. BP, as Kane just mentioned. And um, let's see, I am married. I've been married for 23 years to Krista Pierce. And I have three kiddos, um, a 17-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter, and a 12-year-old son. And um, my wife... Krista and I moved to Rome about 11 and a half years ago uh, to plant or start a church, um, which is called Seven Hills Fellowship. We uh, meet in the DeSoto Theater, and um, our congregation is comprised of um, just a lot of folks that are from Rome, some people who are from outside of Rome, people from the Windshape community at Barrie, some people from Barrie faculty and uh, administration and then some people from shorter faculty administration and students from both and um, it's just been a really fun adventure to be here in Rome for the last 11 and a half years so we are uh, very fortunate to have a pretty thriving church that exists and thrives um, despite my many failings so I'm a, a good example of a crooked stick yeah um, what would you say is your favorite part about Rome not being from here Ooh, that's a good question um, Let's see. My favorite part about Rome um, is honestly, I live my. This is sort of a quality of life thing. Mm-hmm. I literally live my life in a little area that's the size of a postage stamp. I mean, I move from Swift and Finch uh, across the street to our building, to the DeSoto, um, to the Thai restaurant, to the Mediterranean restaurant, and then up to Barry. Yeah. And so I literally just get to drive into town. It takes me seven minutes to get to work from my house. And then I spend, you know, all day long within a two or three square mile area. And so I love the simplicity of that. Um, And I love the fact that, you know, everywhere you go in Rome, whether it's a restaurant or a coffee shop um, or the grocery store, you're going to see lots of people that you know. And so there's a real sense of community, which, by the way, uh, we understood that was going to be a part of church planting. And uh, I thought that was actually a really an advantage in coming to a place that had such a tight-knit community because yeah. um, it made getting to know people uh, and getting to spend time with people um, just a lot easier than a big urban environment. Yeah, yeah especially with Swift and Finch right there and Broad Street. It's a very nice small town to yeah. get to know people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, first question when it comes to redemption. So when you hear Christ's redemption, big picture, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think when I think of um, redemption, particularly, you know, in terms of a theological sense of um, redemption, I think what I typically think about is um, Jesus buying us back, that Jesus buying us out, um, releasing us, saving us. You know, obviously there's a picture of, um, of slavery in that and buying someone who's enslaved out of slavery and setting them free. And so uh, I typically think about, you know, Jesus being the one... Um, that accomplished that redemption. And I think about God, our Heavenly Father, uh, loving us enough uh, in order to buy us back and to redeem us. And so I think both Christ's uh, life and sacrificial death and even God's desire um, to send his son is just an example of how much God longed to be reunited with us. 
Yeah, you can't have one without the other. You can't have that redemption without that brokenness that was there, even though that's right. not what was originally designed. Like the Lord being able to use and buy back all that brokenness more than we right. ever know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely agreed. Yeah. So where have you seen Christ redeem brokenness in your life? Where has he used those crooked parts of your life to draw a straight line? You know, that's a great, also a good question. Um, you know, every at every literally every place in my life I think I've got I've seen God's redemption um, I think you know most recently as I begin with my wife of 23 years as we begin to sort of dig into our own relationship um, it's almost impossible to have a real relationship with someone else and to be completely vulnerable and intimate with them without digging into the brokenness of your past and uh, and I think we all have brokenness um, from our family situations, for example, I mean, regardless of how great our parents were, yeah. they're not perfect. Um, they're, you know, by definition, imperfect. And so um, I would say that, you know, over the last, you know, three to five years, probably, I've begun to realize just how much um, my own family background probably has played into who I am. Um, I'm a total and complete, my, my default mode, I'll say it that way, or my, my, my chosen way of um, sort of interacting with the world is to be a people pleaser. Yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I just thought that the reason I was a people pleaser is because I liked people and I was curious about people. I wanted to empower people. And um, the benefit of being married is that your wife or your husband will, um, in love, reveal to you some stuff about yourself you didn't really want to know. And so early on in our marriage, Krista would um, question some of the ways that I interacted with people, particularly as a people pleaser. And I would say that over the last three to five years, part of what I've realized is that my sort of whole nice guy persona was actually a way to protect my heart and a, protect, a way to protect myself from rejection or abandonment. I think that goes back to my own story. Um, you know, my dad was uh, in Vietnam until I was about four. And then when he got back from Vietnam, um, he worked nights for the next 11 years. And so there's a real sense in which, um, you know, he was around for, you know, parts of my childhood, but he was also was just gone for lots of my childhood. And so one of the things that happens in the first five years of a man's life in particular is that a father um, validates that son during those early years. And so much of that, you know, those first five years of validation um, determine what you believe about yourself as a man. And I'm sure it's the same thing, you know, for women with their mothers. Yeah. And so I really think that there's a real sense in which since my dad was gone for so much of my early life that, um, that I probably um, never believed that I had what it took internally to sort of face life's challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I think not believing that I had what it took or not believing that I had the internal strength um, I think I moved into the world with sort of this chosen nice guy persona yeah. because I think what I, what I realize is um, that if I can just ask other people enough questions and if I can just compliment them enough and I can just make good enough grades and if I can be a nice enough guy, then nobody ever has to know the real me. And, yeah. uh, and so what I've realized over the last three to five years is that so much of who I am is a result of being fearful of sort of being revealed as not having what it takes um, or not being, you know, worth someone else's time or energy. And uh, so what's interesting is um, that platform of, well, one, my chosen persona, to use psychological terms, 
Um, but also the growth in the last three to five years has actually been a wonderful place for the gospel to enter in. Yeah. And because only, I really believe this to be true, that, um, that only God can validate us. We're created in his image. He's yeah. the one that pronounces well done over us and loves us not only for what we do, but more importantly for who we are. He's the only one that can declare you righteous. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Your job can't declare you righteous. Your athletic ability can't declare you righteous. Um, you know, members of the opposite sex cannot justify you, declare you righteous but God can declare you righteous and his uh, verdict over you uh, is louder than and more important than anybody else's verdict. But it took understanding my own brokenness and my understanding of sort of my own um, sort of not measuring up to even let the gospel sort of begin to work its way into who I am as a person. And so that's one very particular way in which suffering and brokenness and the idea of redemption um, has come to work in my life. And then honestly, out, it, ministering out of that mm-hmm. instead of ministering out of the nice guy yeah. persona. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Jesus did not minister out of a nice guy persona. He wasn't trying to seek everyone's approval. <laughs> By no means. <laughs> yeah. In fact, for years, it's so funny you say that. <clears throat> you know, for years, I would read these stories of Jesus where he was just like seemed to be rude to yeah. the Pharisees. You know what I mean? Or he'd be mean. And in fact, it's funny, I'm, I'm actually preaching a sermon this Sunday on uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. But, you know, it's, um, the, the, it's the passage where the Pharisees are kind of out to get Jesus yeah. um, because he's been uh, calling them on the carpet about their hypocrisy mm-hmm. and, uh, and really kind of calling them on the carpet about um, protecting their own power and their own position yeah. at the expense of the people. And so he's been intentionally sort of going toe-to-toe with them. And then in chapter 14, he, in, he accepts this invitation to go to dinner at the home of this uh, sort of influential Pharisee. And there are other Pharisees there. And there's a man with dropsy. And dropsy is this disease where basically, you know, liquid blood and water pool in parts of your body. It's really painful. Anyway, but they're trying to trap him into healing this guy on the Sabbath. So they can yeah. kind of get him. And it's funny because the, you read verse 1, and verse 1 says, Jesus went to the home of this Pharisee for dinner. And you're like, what are you doing? And, <laughs> you're walking and into the trap. <laughs> you're, you're intentionally, knowingly, willingly, you're walking into this trap. And it reminds me of that scene in Braveheart where William Wallace, um, the nobles have ridden out, the Scottish nobles have ridden out to meet with um, the spokesperson for the King of England. And they're going to sort of discuss terms for the surrender of the Scots. Yeah. And uh, William Wallace gets ready to ride out to the field with these noblemen, even though he's not invited. And uh, his buddies are like, hey, what are you doing, man? And he goes, I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> and there's just a real sense in which I think Jesus, um, you know, in John, Luke chapter 14, for example, he goes to this house with these Pharisees in order to pick a fight, not for no reason, but he's picking a fight in order to defend and to fight for our freedom. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Nice guys don't do that. Yeah. Nice guys just just hide out. They're, in fact, Robert the Bruce in uh, Braveheart, he's the nice guy, if you remember that character. He's the one that betrays William Wallace. Yes, yes, yes. And regrets it later on. He's yeah. the nice guy. Yeah. And, uh, and William Wallace um, is the guy that is kind when he needs to be kind, but he's tough when he needs to be tough. That's much more yeah. like Jesus. I mean, even looking at the disciples, like how many times Jesus was not just trying to seek his best friend's approval on earth and like 
telling them like, no, what are you thinking? Like, yep. how could you ever believe that about me after I've told you so many times what I'm here to do, what I've done right. for you already, who I am, and you still don't get it. Right. And they continue coming in with the same questions. And yeah. then his best friends even turning against him. Totally. And yeah. I mean, that's like how he foretold and how right. he said, hey, yeah, when are you going to betray me? Like, when are you just going to turn me in? <laughs> right. Yeah, Judas, why don't you go ahead and go do that now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just my Bible study, we've been going through John, and um, it's we just got through with when Jesus was watching, washing his disciples' feet, and he wasn't doing that for their approval by any mm-hmm. means. Yep. Peter even said, no, don't wash my feet. Like, right, right. I don't, I don't want you to do that. Like, and he's yeah. like, no, like, let me do this. Like, this is what I'm here to do. And, uh, like, go to those dirty parts and, like, go to them head on and say, yep. hey, like, you are clean. Even in that passage, be able to say, hey, like, when Peter says, oh, no, don't wash me, then Jesus is like, no, like, I have to wash you. Yeah. He said, oh, then why don't you wash all of me? And he <laughs> right, said, like, right. no, like, you're already clean. Uh-huh. You're already clean but i just need to continue working at this one part yeah. here right right yeah yeah it's funny that's a great point nice guys do everything in their power not to ever offend anyone um men who are courageous um strong and loving are willing to offend people when necessary because back to the the theme of redemption you know when you are in bondage or in slavery you know, you can be in bondage or in slavery um, to pornography. You can be in bondage or in slavery to some sort of uh, food addiction. You can be in bondage or in slavery to workaholism. You can be in bondage to all these different kind of things. Even your family, even the things that are good. Absolutely good things. Yeah. And, um, and a, a loving doctor, for example, um, may need to come to me, Brian Pierce, at some point in time, and he, need to, he may need to say, uh, you need to drop 20 pounds, and you need to eat, quit, you know, quit eating fried chicken, and you need to quit drinking Coke. And that may offend me, but at the end of the day, it's actually more courageous and more loving for him to tell me the truth about myself than it is for him to just ignore it. Does that make sense? That actually yeah. wouldn't be loving. Yeah. And so Jesus was always willing to be uh, loving, and that love, his, the fact that he loved us actually pushed him at times to offend us because he wasn't afraid to tell us the things we needed to hear. Yeah. Um, which again, that's something I'm still very much learning. Yeah. Yeah. And like being able to just walk in that confidence of the spirit to and align yourself so closely to him to be able to allow him to offend you at times and to do the actual work. Right. Anything he needs to do. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, and frankly, to let him offend us sometimes through, uh, through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, through brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe sometimes to offend us uh, through people that aren't believers at all. You know, yeah. we need to. And in fact, it's funny. I listen to uh, there's a, a particular psychologist I listen to a lot, and uh, he basically says, you know, the default mode of humans is we have about a thirty percent sort of level of self-awareness and so we're pretty aware of ourselves in these particular areas and 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 we like to be especially aware of where we're good Mm -hmm. and he said but it's interesting because what he finds in psychology is the place where we actually need self-awareness is in that 70 percent where we're not Mm self-aware because it's usually in that 70 percent where we have self-destructive tendencies and he's like that's exactly where we need to have people telling us where we're broken And where we're messed up because we don't know it, and it's the very thing that's hurting us. Yeah, and I think that's 
what comes to my mind, especially approaching my wedding, that's what I'm, I'd say, looking forward to. I don't want to say fearfully looking forward to it, because I am looking forward to it, but that whole idea that being married, that sanctification that goes through that, to have someone that you're so close to be able to see that other 70% that you have no clue you even did, right. those habits that you had that you had no clue about, and that that's just a small glimpse of how the Spirit actually works in us to say, hey, no, these are those areas of your life that you don't know you need to work on and that you don't know that I need to work on in you. And um, even just the idea that the church is around us to do that and yeah. that the Spirit doesn't always do that just by saying, hey, you're healed, but like the Spirit will use another person to come up to you and, like that you're close with yeah. and speak that truth in love. Yep. And not be afraid to offend you, but actually yeah. work that in your heart and in your life. Totally. So. True true story. So Chris and I have been married now 23 years. We'll be 24 in June. But um, when we got married, we were living in St. Louis. Um, I was in grad school up there. And uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment, which is a really cool garage apartment. And um, we'd been married probably for about three weeks. And so we spent mm-hmm. about you know two weeks on our honeymoon and then we'd been, been back in St. Louis in our little one-room apartment for about a week. Yeah. And there's this one morning where I would get up early in the morning and uh, you know get a shower and get ready to go, and then I'd go off to class and then to work. But there's this one morning where Krista uh, kind of barged in the bathroom, and she said, would you please stop it? And I was like, what? She said, you're making so much noise. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you're hawking loogies, and you're coughing, and you're making all this noise in the bathroom. And I just, it was one of those things I just wasn't aware of because, you know, when I got in the shower, I think I was making some noises that no one had ever heard or called me on the carpet (laughs) about before. And I was like, oh, you know what? You're probably right. (laughs) So I had to, uh, but I (laughs) wouldn't have known it had she not pointed it out to me. So it was kind of funny. Um, Where do you hope to see redemption in your life? Is that like, whether that's personally or through seven hills or yeah. through Rome or like where do you hope to see yeah. and that, that probably is a very open question that you could have a, a ton of answers for but yeah where do you feel like the Lord's been calling you towards yeah 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 I think um, I think what I would say is I think I think I'm guessing that um, redemption for me is going to be the most critical at the level of my heart probably mm-hmm. Um, so again, I mentioned a little while ago, sort of this persona of me being a people pleaser and yeah. being a nice, nice guy, and then sort of digging down to the roots of that a little bit. Um, I, I've always struggled with self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I went through a little mini burnout period and I went down and met with, um, some of my buddies who are pastors down in Atlanta and just said, Hey, I need some help. I need some advice. Yeah. And um, and I, it's funny, one of them stopped me eight or ten minutes into me sort of explaining what I was going through. And um, they said, uh, man, I've noticed that you're really hard on yourself. And, uh, and what they sort of nailed pretty quickly is that I sort of came out of this place of being a self-loather. Yeah. And, um, and what was funny is they said it as if it was not normal. Yeah. And I was like, I thought everybody was a self-loather. I thought everybody 
was really hard on themselves and told themselves what a jerk they were. Yeah. And uh, what I began to realize about myself is I, w- I would tell myself things that I would never tell another human being. I don't know if that makes sense yeah. at all. Yeah. And so there was this, this piece of me that, again, and I think it was very much tied to you know, any, other, any number of different things from my past. Um, and so you know, I've had to work really hard um, to see redemption even in that area of um, not only not being a self-loather, but fighting against self-loathing with the gospel, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I've said over and over again to people, so if the idea of the gospel is that, um, you know, there's this obviously this swap where Christ exchanges his righteousness and takes my sin upon himself, then he's punished in my place and defeats um, death and sin on the cross, rises again from the dead, and therefore... God sees me as completely righteous because it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's right. righteousness over me. Yeah. And not only that, but that God loved me enough to send his son, that yeah. there was the image of God in me that he desired to redeem. Mm-hmm. And so there's all, all these truths that come about in the gospel where you, you have to you know, really sort of deal with the fact that God loves you enough to pursue you and that God loves you enough to restore you and that God loves you enough to redeem you and that God loves you enough to sanctify you. And, you know, once you start doing the math on that and you start realizing that, you know, God must actually really love me, then that was, you know, for me, that's been a massive area of redemption. And uh, and, and so much so that, you know, for the longest time, the gospel for me wasn't a default sort of um, state of my being. I didn't really just sort of default believe that I was made right in God and that he loved me. Rather, the gospel for me was a little bit like me walking over to the closet, opening the doors, pulling out a jacket, which is the gospel, and kind of putting it on. Like It was this very volitional act. And I feel like redemption for me, honestly, is um, the gospel defining me and giving my identity so much so that it's less and less more like me walking over to the closet every now and then putting on the coat of righteousness, but remembering that that's how God sees me all the time. Yeah. And so I think that just that little piece of redemption and restoration in me then trickles over into the way that I deal with everybody else. And that yeah. it should trickle over into the way that I interact with Christians, with non-Christians, with my wife, with my kids, with people at Seven Hills Fellowship. And even that broader idea of redemption, the fact that you know God desires not only to see individuals redeemed, I don't think, yeah. but even the lives that we live and the world that we live in. But again, I think it all really starts at the level of my heart. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the whole idea of the way I've been told it uh, or the way I've heard it is either positive or negative flesh. Mm-hmm. And like the positive flesh, I guess when you look at um, the gospel and the heart of it is we were so broken beyond all recognition, beyond all purpose, beyond all um, from what was originally believed beyond all redemption and then Christ's sacrifice like that was more than enough buying right. power to buy us back and more than right. enough um to declare us righteous and the yep. like the two the positive and negative flesh the positive flesh I guess saying there are people that are, I guess are hyper aware of the redemption not seeing their brokenness not knowing where they're broken and then the negative flesh the hyper awareness of the brokenness that's going on and i guess what the image that came to my mind is like you go and you put on that jacket of the gospel this huge jacket 
it's going to get hot. It's going to, yeah. you're going to, you're going to say, you're going to start feeling that shame underneath that. Oh, I'm burning up in here. Like this is too much to handle. Mm-hmm. I need to go take this off. I need to remind myself of how broken mm-hmm. I am. And that negative flesh invites shame when that mm. brokenness comes up. And the, yeah. um, like, yes, it's important to be aware of where we're broken and where sure. we're not sure. perfect, where we need Christ, but it's also um, important to know that we're declared righteous and the Lord has not only put a jacket on us, but has, like see, like you said, sees us as that. Yeah. And um, But still yeah. calls us to be made whole right. and still right. calls us to grow and to be sanctified. Yeah, yeah there's, um, when I was a kid, I would go to the dentist and one of the first things they would have you do when you go to the dentist is uh, they would give you this little red tablet. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had this. Mm-hmm. But you would chew the red tablet up, and he would look at your teeth, and it, the red dye would stick to your teeth wherever there was plaque. Uh. And the funny thing was, you know, before you, before I went to the dentist anyway, as the people pleaser I was, yeah. you know, I would brush my teeth really well and floss and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the red tablet would reveal that I had way more plaque in my mouth than I realized. If that yeah. makes sense. And it's not mean of the dentist to show me where the plaque was. Yeah. In fact, it was, again, an act of you know, kindness on his part to show me where that plaque was. Yeah. Because if you don't deal with that plaque, it's exactly you know, where you're going to form cavities. It's going to cause your teeth yeah. to rot. Life's going to be bad on many, many levels yeah. in a hurry. Similarly, God, again, you know, declares, us righteousness, declares us righteous, says we're beautiful and perfect in his sight. And at the same time... He is, you know, making us, sanctifying us, making us more and more righteous. And frankly, that is for, it's, it is for his glory. Uh, it's for our good and for our benefit, but it's also for the good and the benefit of those who are in relationship with us. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we have to be able to see our sin because again, that's where the gospel then goes in yeah. and can continue the process of redemption. Hey, thanks for listening. I want to take a second and just share about a few cool things that are happening right now. First, my friend Michael Shaw has a new YouTube channel focusing on creative writing, movie reviews, and more. Find it on YouTube at Michael Shaw. You'll go for the content, you'll stay for the card tricks. Another friend of mine, Ben Walker, is currently selling t-shirts he designed that simply claim truth that Christ is better. I encourage you to go to his Instagram at Jamin Lawrence, that's J-A-M-I-N-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, and check him out. So... As a pastor here at Seven Hills, and you're shepherding people. Like that's what the Lord's called you to do is to shepherd those people and shepherd their families and shepherd their stories. Um, and that can be really heavy a lot of times to carry, especially when you're seeing all that brokenness that can go on people's lives. Yes, like celebrating those things needs to celebrate, but right. even that has a weight to it. But sure. the especially those broken parts that people have. Um, what's something you'd say, maybe some advice, for people that are in ministry roles who see so much brokenness and carrying others' stories um, and trying to care for them like Jesus does. Like, what's some advice you give to those people? So, you know, it's funny. I did um, youth ministry for, I guess, a total of seven years um, before I 
um, became the director of admissions at Covenant College and then went back into church planting. And um, youth ministry was actually much harder in that regard than adult ministry has been. Um, Adults live with this sort of um, chosen veneer um, this sort of self-protective veneer. Mm-hmm. And so it's only after you get to know adults pretty well that they begin being honest with you about the reality of their lives and marriages. They just hide it. You know, youth, in youth ministry, boy, they'll tell you everything. Like, you, in a hurry, you know, everything about their older sister, you know, everything about the things that they're struggling with. They just tell you everything. And it was in youth ministry in particular where I just, I, the way that I would phrase it is I felt like I was always carrying around or wearing this heavy lead jacket and it just sort of weighed me down because I was conscious of all of these decisions they were making that were going to impact the rest of their lives. Yeah. And, oh, man, it used to just break my heart. And um, so uh, whether that's whether you're in a college ministry um, or a high school ministry or, um, you know, whatever the type of ministry is, church, you know, church-based ministry, whatever it is, uh, if, you're, if you are in relationship with people and if you're caring for people, you're going to be exposed to their brokenness. Like Jesus and like God, it should break your heart. It should make you sad that people are doing things that hurt them. It's why God as a father can you know, righteously demonstrate anger yeah. because any good father experiences anger when their children are threatened. Like That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so what I would say for people that are in Young Life, Campus Outreach, RUF, Windshape, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank if you're in ministry, you, you need a place, you need some safe people, usually people who are also in ministry or maybe a counselor, who you can just be 100% vulnerable with um, because you need to be able to, in complete safety, just sort of um, be real with other people where there's very little risk. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been really fortunate to be part of um, a 26-year accountability group yeah. with some guys, and that's one of the things that we do for each other is we just... When we get together, whether it's a, you know a, a phone group phone call or getting together three or four times a year, um, part of what we do is we just sort of are utterly real with one another, and man, it helps so much to be to be able to sort of unburden yourself yeah. with other people. And so, I guess that's my big advice: is I'd say find some really safe people with whom you can be a hundred percent vulnerable, who will support you and listen to you when you need to be supported and listened listened to but who also are courageous enough to challenge you when you need to be challenged as well. Yeah. Yeah. What comes to mind for me when I think of that, like I definitely 100% agree with that. And I think my job in college ministry, I've been very well supported with that structure of, Hey, like we're all in the same boat together. We're able to minister to people, but also come and rest and be real with each other while we're, really good like we're while we're carrying these really heavy stories a lot of people um but the scripture that comes to mind for me is in matthew 11 um when jesus is speaking he says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light yeah just the idea that he can carry it that like, yeah. and we aren't meant to carry those burdens alone mm-hmm. in ministry and caring for other people that we need to find those people that are the church for us and the people that we can be a hundred percent real yeah. with and that the spirit is in them to be able to care for us and carry that with us. Yeah. I think that's great. Oh yeah. Um, 
what would you say to the people who need that rest, that need, that you're caring for? Yeah. Um, what would you say to them? I think that, um, I think that to use some, to steal some Keller, Tim Keller language, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim yeah. Keller. Uh, my fiance, I were reading Meaning of Marriage. Good, right awesome. Now, so. High recommendation <laughs> yes. for Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. Um, so to kind of borrow this from Tim Keller, um, I, I would say that both religion and irreligion are exhausting. And so if irreligion is, you know, the younger brother, for example, in the story of the prodigal son who, you know, goes and blows his father's inheritance doing whatever he did, but anybody who's ever lived an irreligious, godless life of hooking up, partying, living, you know, in a debauched kind of way, yeah. utterly self, uh, self-centeredly, you know that it is utterly and completely exhausting. Um, I heard a young man one time who at the time was maybe a junior um, at the University of Georgia, and um, he had grown up in a Christian home. I ran into him at a gym and, uh, where we both worked out, and um, I just asked him, hey man, how's it going? you know, being at UGA. And uh, he said, well, honestly, Brian, he said, it is, it's really hard. He said, it basically told me some things he had gotten involved in. And he said, I just, you know, there was one point where I woke up one night in another situation. And he said, I just realized that I was totally and completely empty and I was worn out. Yeah. And so irreligion is exhausting. But the other thing I would say is that religion, and when I say religion, I don't mean Christianity. If if religion is essentially any sort of God-focused paradigm where I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Yeah. Any time where it's an I obey, therefore I'm accepted, or I'm good, therefore I'm accepted, or I'm not too bad, therefore I'm accepted, well, that's also exhausting. Yeah. Right? And so what happens is, is you end up with um, irreligious people who are utterly exhausted and empty, but you also end up with religious people who are exhausted and also empty. And so I think that's the, the point of that you know, Matthew 11 passage there is that we come to Jesus to find rest because ultimately what the gospel is is I'm accepted, therefore I can obey in gratitude, yeah. if that makes sense. In yeah. fact, I've got a little... And you don't obey to get accepted. No, you yeah. don't have to bother with that anymore. Yeah. Right. In fact, there's a little story that I heard just recently. Um, I'm going to read it. Cause, yeah. yeah. But there's a story from the Civil War days before the American slaves were freed about a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, you're free. With amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yep. And even to go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently and replied, then I'll go with you. And so I think there is that, you know, sort of, that uh, realization in the gospel that when we are with Jesus, when we're trusting in his righteousness, then all of a sudden sanctification isn't some exhausting way in which we're trying to earn God's favor, but instead, like this illustration, um, we're able to remain in relationship with God uh, just as an act of gratitude. And that is ultimately restful. The gospel gives us the ability to rest. Yeah, and I think the whole idea and for a lot of people paradigm shift is like i'm not the one that has to sanctify myself right that all my responsibility is at this point being a believer is to just go to jesus (laughs) he will do the rest he will sanctify me he will um call me out when i need to get called out he will affirm me where that affirmation is needed but 
my job is done at that point other than obeying him and sure. like anything that he calls me to and anything that I'm convicted of or anything like that should be because I'm walking so closely with him right. that I know when he's calling me out on this. Sure, thing. sure. Yeah. yeah, and the energy for obedience, um, if the energy for obedience is gratitude, yeah. boy, that's a, that's a great energy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's way better than the energy of desperation or the energy of fear. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so last question. Um, after someone who's listening to this podcast listens to it, um, what is the one thing that you'd want them to hear you say? Yeah, I think um, I think the one thing I always want to leave people with is um, just again, I guess I'll, I, a broad view of the gospel, and I, and I think I would say it something like this: I would say that I believe this thing called the fall actually occurred, where um, the result of the fall was that we experienced this you know brokenness, separation from God, and even to some degree brokenness and separation in relationships and all these other ways. And I think if you look at even the story of the fall, there's really this picture of Satan coming to Eve and causing Eve or tempting Eve to doubt that God is good, to doubt that he is for her, to doubt that he loves her. And I think that same temptation is um, what he uses in the lives of both believers and unbelievers. So I think that Satan will come to us and constantly tempt us to doubt that God is good, to doubt that God loves us, to doubt that God is for us. And so when we live in a world where we believe that there's a God, but he's not loving and he's not good and he's not for us, then we're going to do whatever we can do to protect ourselves yeah. from him and in life. Yeah. And so I think what I would, would want is have you recognize that I think whether you realize it or not, that that default misbelief or lie is pretty active in most of us. I think it's, I think it's what Satan is constantly doing to us. Yeah. And I think he's constantly tempting us by saying, did God really say that? You know, does he really love you? Is he really for you? Because if he was really good, would he really do this? Would he really say yeah. that? Would he really allow that? And so one, I would say recognize that that temptation um, and that tendency to doubt God's goodness and to doubt God's love and to doubt that he's for you is, man, it's, it's, it's in you. That's number one. But then I would encourage you to combat that, um, that lie of Satan um, by looking at, particularly at God in the garden in the same passage where I talked about this a couple nights ago um, at Barry. And if you look after the falls occurred, um, meaning Adam and Eve have sinned against God, you know, God could have just said, all right, I'm done. You know, he could have sent lightning bolts down. Yep. He could have just let them starve to death, freeze to death, whatever. But instead, what we see is that God longed to be in relationship with Adam and Eve. And so he came down into the garden, and he sought them, and he called out to them, and he wooed them out of hiding. And not only did he woo them out of hiding, but then he um, gave them covering for their shame and for their nakedness. And so right at the very beginning of Scripture, there's this picture that seems to contradict the picture that Satan paints that seems to paint this picture that God is actually a loving God who desires to do what it takes to be in relationship with us. And then what I would say is through the very end of Scripture, all the way into the New Testament, you have a picture of God coming to earth in God the Son and Jesus in order to seek and save lost people and to lay down his life that we might be reunited with his Father. And so I guess what I would say is, man, if there's a way 
for you to believe that God is a good, good father and that his son Jesus loves you and has done everything in his power to bring you back to his father, then, uh, then I would say again that that's what I would want people to walk away with, that, um, that true view of who God is yeah. and what he's done. And so I would say that's probably what I would hope people would walk away with. Yeah. And the idea that there's nothing they can do, nothing they have done that will make God love them any more or any less. Mm-hmm. And the broken parts of them are not irredeemable right. in that. And that God, like you said, mm-hmm. does seek out those broken parts. Mm-hmm. He saw Adam and Eve in the garden and knew that they had sinned and like desired that relationship to say, hey, I'm actually, I want to take care of you. Like, please mm-hmm. stop running from me. And Oh, yeah. 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 There's a, a pastor friend of mine used to have this saying where he would say that, um, your sin is not a barrier to God's work in your life. Uh, the sin is the very reason for God's work in your life. In other words, like it's precisely because he loves you and wants to redeem you that he's pursuing you. And so your sin is not a barrier right. to God. It's not, at least it's not one that he can't overcome. Right. His, the blood of his son, Jesus is more than enough yeah. um, to cover over all of our sins yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's not only one that he can't overcome, but it's one that he already has overcome. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, well, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And um, I've really enjoyed being a member at Seven Hills Fellowship for the last, I guess I've officially been a member for the last two years, yeah. but have been going since my freshman year at Barry in yeah. 2012. So, wow, um, that's crazy. I've, I know I'm not alone saying that I am very thankful and have learned a lot and been very blessed by your leadership and the way that you serve this church and this community. So I just want to say thank you for the way you love people very well. Thank you, Kane. I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks very much. next upcoming episodes will be about gender roles and gender identity and how scripture points us to what the lord originally intended redemption in people's lives through small groups and racial reconciliation i hope you join me as we tackle some difficult topics and fight to see what straight lines can be drawn from these broken and crooked sticks if you or anyone you know would like to share about christ's redemption in their lives please reach out you can either email me at kaneq26 at gmail.com, message me on Facebook at Kane Quinones, or message me on Instagram at Crooked Sticks. That's crooked underscore sticks. Go give us a follow, give us a shout out, and remember, Crooked Sticks can still draw straight lines. Thanks for listening.